Hey, Tisha. Hey, Jen. Are you loving this whole body acceptance month theme that we're doing? I absolutely am. I I love just hearing the different stories and it's really challenged my own thinking, I think, around body acceptance and the way that I feel about my body. And it's had me thinking about a lot about the messages we send, the messages we see, we receive about our bodies. And I've noticed like I'm seeing certain things differently. Someone posted a weight loss post this week in my Facebook feed. And I was like, Hey, wait, did you unfollow? Like I do. I unfollow. (laughs) I just thought in a completely different light. Totally. Just based on these amazing conversations we've had, I think we're halfway through now. We've got two more episodes focusing on this body is one habits. of them. This is one of them. Yes. Today we talked with Mandy Riley, who's a phenomenal woman, and I can't wait for you to hear it. But we're really excited because we have two events coming up in conjunction with our Body Acceptance Month. And one of them is coming up on October 29th with Natalie Borch. She's just goals in life as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) I love her so much. She runs my favorite dance and fitness studio. And she's doing a body confidence workshop with us where we'll do power posts. And she'll talk about the importance of how you carry yourself and how you can fake your confidence from the outside in on those those mm-hmm. days and in those moments when it's really hard. And we're going to also learn a little short dance combination. It's super beginner. You do not have to worry about it being too hard. Yes. And it's free. And it's free. It's half an hour. It's on Zoom. It's virtual. So you don't have to have your camera on. Yep. It's going to be great. And then the other thing that we got really exciting news about just yesterday. Huge news. Huge news. So excited. I was that, like jumping up and down. <laughs> I know. She called me right away. I, she saw it first. Crystal Maldonado, who is the author of Fat Chance Charlie Vega, is going to be joining us for book club this month. So you do not want to miss it. I am probably about a quarter of the way through the book and I love it. And I'm so excited to chat with her and we would love to see you there. And there are yes. links to register for these Zooms in our Instagram profile, on our Facebook, and message us any of the ways and we will send them to you because we are really excited about this. And if these kind of events are things you're into, we would love to figure out ways to put on more of them to help foster this amazing community. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to Now What? A podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, I'm Jen and welcome back to Now What? And I'm Tisha. Thank you so much for joining us and listening today. We are meeting with Mandy Riley, who is somebody that I actually found on Instagram and reached out to her. We've been following her and we love her page and she shares really openly and vulnerably on there about her story and she just has a great energy and so we invited her and we're so thankful that she agreed to do this with us. So welcome Mandy. Welcome. Hi thank you so much for having me. Before we really delve into your story do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself Yeah, sure thing. I am a 36-year-old wife of a Jersey boy. We've been married for a little over 15 years, and together we have a 13-year-old handsome handful. We live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I work full-time currently in the home. Not sure if I'll ever get back into the office or not. 
so that's an adjustment. Other than that, I am a huge Peloton freak. I like to metal stamp and diamond paint in my spare time. And I like to read romance novels because they're a nice escape from this world. (laughs) I love it. You know what? Like we talk so much about self-care and the things that we can do to just fuel ourselves. And sometimes that's what we need is that kind of like an escape from the real world. And if that's romance novels, then power to you. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. So tell us a little bit about your story, I guess. I guess my story is that I have been battling mental health, eating disorders, uh, both of those probably since the age of seven. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I was in line in the library and there were two boys who were flexing their muscles and I, not knowing any better, flexed my muscle. He jiggled my arm and he called me fat and that started everything that pinpointed all of my doubt in my body. I would. It's amazing how there's just that one. Yes. One comment can. Yep. Be so powerful. Our words are so powerful. I hadn't thought about my body any different than anyone else, but then in my family, we just didn't eat breakfast. We were kind of, um just on the go, like we were up and out the door. So I didn't really eat breakfast. And then at lunch, I would tell my teacher that I was full from breakfast, pocket the lunch money, and then I would eat dinner. And I would tell my parents that I was full from lunch. And this was at like seven years old? Seven. I was in second grade. Wow. This went on for probably three weeks until my parents did laundry a day early and found all of the lunch money that I'd been stashing in my top drawer. Mm. They took me to the pediatrician and the pediatrician basically said, yeah, she's, you know, she's a little above average for her age. So, I mean, if anything, you could put her on a diet. (sighs) So I started dieting Wow. at the age of seven. My mom didn't know any better. She was going with what the pediatrician said. So I was, I was the little girl in the tops meetings, which are kind of like a Weight Watchers meeting. I was in Weight Watchers meetings. I was doing all of that. And you're still in elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. Through elementary and middle school. I was in a lot of that stuff. I remember they were, they liked my story tops did. So I remember I did a video where I was the youngest person in the room and it was like an informational video about the program. So they were super excited to have a kid in that video. And like it, you saying that, I'm sorry, but like my mind is blown that there would have been children. And I, I mean, I absolutely believe you, which is something I'd never, it's something I had never considered. Because well, our own kids are right around that age. So that's yeah, like really I think that's part of it. I have a mind blowing. Yeah. We have, we both have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Yeah. So right in that kind of range. And I mean, did you meet other children when you were going no. to these? No. Okay. No, I was, I was the only kid my age. And that just led me to believe that I was even more weird than I thought and that I was abnormal yeah like you're a freak because there aren't even other kids who are there with you yep 
So something must be really wrong with you. Exactly. And that's so heartbreaking. That led to this illusion that I had of myself. I, instead of trying to change myself because I wasn't losing weight because I was still growing. So yeah. if anything, the scale was moving in the opposite direction. I kind of embraced it and I really fell hard into that big fat friend stereotype where I was always the one in the background. I was the comic relief, but I was also the overachiever. Did um, you do like the self-deprecating humor thing? I've all seen so many time. like girls do. All yes. the time. Um, I was the friend that I would go straight to the accessories department because I knew that that was the only place that wouldn't hurt me. I wouldn't have to try anything on. I wouldn't have to deal with the shame of having a different size than someone else. So I would buy sunglasses or socks or earrings when everyone else was trying on all of these clothes. Have Um, you read this book? It's called Fat Chance. What's it called? Fat Chance Charlie Vega? I actually have it on hold uh, from the library. Oh my gosh. So um, um, we are releasing, like that's going to be our book club pick of the month that we release your ep- of, yeah. when we release your episode and the character in the book does exactly what you just said. Yep. And if I remember reading about that book, she's Hispanic. Yes. And I believe is she bisexual or lesbian? Uh no. Her friend is? Okay. I think but I re- I, I read it. I feel like very much like that. That that's me to a T. And she had like her th- like a thin friend, so they would go to the mall, and she would just go, yep. like you said, or even when she was with her mother, just go to the accessories. Now, I I, I have a question. Um, mm-hmm. Were you that much bigger than the other kids? Like when you look back at pictures now, or was I? Don't think I was necessarily bigger. I inherited these bat wing arms from my grandmother. So my grandmother had them. I have them. It doesn't matter how much I work out. Yeah. It just, that's what I have. And ultimately, even at my thinnest, I still had them. And that's what the boys zoned in on. That's what they did. Okay. So ultimately, I don't think I was bigger than anyone else. And you, but you thought you were, that's, I just, I I kind of wanted to, because I think Regardless of if someone has an eating disorder or not, we have a very skewed perception of our body at any given time. Cause yeah. I like, just personally, I look back at pictures of myself in high school when I was like feeling like so self-conscious yeah. and I'm like, what was wrong with me? Exactly. I see pictures of myself in high school when I really fell into that stereotype and I'm like, I don't know what was wrong with me. There was nothing wrong with me. I had a friend who was about that same size. Okay. Um, but it, it stopped me from living my life. I yep. wanted to be on the track team. I wanted to do shot put. I didn't want to be the manager, but I, again, was afraid of being in the singlet. Um, I remember stepping back and letting my friend run for uh, president of this one club instead of doing it because I didn't want to bring any attention to myself. Mm-hmm. So I can see what you're saying, the ways in which that held you back from kind of doing the things that you really wanted to do just because of that yeah fear of being judged I guess and your self-esteem just yep 
I didn't want to bring any attention to myself Mm -hmm. because I assumed that it was going to end negatively. Right. And Um, why wouldn't you? And so that I think ultimately like not being able to be myself, I think led to as soon as I graduated, uh, going to a counselor and being diagnosed with depression, um, and being put on antidepressants. So I have been on antidepressants since a month out of high school. I'm 36 now. So I've been in out of high school as long as I've been in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and just from there, uh, things just spiraled and it just became one thing after another. I spent a semester away from my family. I moved about an hour and a half away on a full scholarship, ended up giving that up to come home to help home hospice my grandmother who had a stroke on the operating table. She was having heart surgery and had a stroke. So seeing this woman who I'd idolized my entire life, she couldn't move half of her body. Um, She couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She couldn't feed herself. And ultimately, my parents made the decision to bring her home because that was her last wishes is that she wanted to die at home. So I was 19. I was working probably 30 hours a week. I was in school full time. And then I knew how to work a Hoyer lift. I did the bedpan. I could help transfer. I did all of that stuff um, until she passed away. And right when we were taking care of her, I happened to meet my husband online before it was the cool thing to do. Um, (laughs) We met on a website called Live Journal, which was a blogging journaling website. And we both liked American Idol. We were watching the same season. We had the same disdain for one of the contestants. We started bonding. Um, At the time, I was in love with my best friend here. He was in love with his best friend in New Jersey. So we were just friends. Um, But he was going through something similar with um, helping take care of his grandfather who had lung cancer. So to put it in perspective, um, we were were both from three generational households where we Mm. lived with our grandparents our entire lives. It's just what Italians do. Yes. I don't know any different. We're raising my son like that. So it hits a little harder when it's not just the grandparents you see twice a year when you're with them constantly and every day, your entire life. And something like like another parent. Yes. So ironically, the day that he and I met face to face was the day of her funeral. We did not plan it that way. He um, wrote in a Christmas card to me that he wanted to be my Valentine and he was going to fly out here. And it just so happened that we joke that our first date was a funeral because (laughs) not even three hours after he got off the plane, uh, he was standing next to me in front of my crazy family at my grandmother's funeral. So it was your first date. Yeah. Yeah. Our first date was a funeral. How romantic. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And yet it worked. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And then um, a month later, uh, almost to the day, I flew out to New Jersey to be with him at his grandfather's funeral. Wow. And in a whirlwind of six months, uh, we would talk all the time. We flew back and forth. We had decided that he was going to move to Milwaukee from New Jersey because I had school. I was just naturally closer to my family. So it just, it made sense. He was ready for a change. 
we were planning for him to move uh, Labor Day weekend. Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> uh, 16 years ago already. And he, right before we moved, he proposed. And then we were married a year to the day that we, we met. So it was a very crazy, crazy ride. One that I absolutely do not recommend to anyone. <laughs> Um, I was 20. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, was, I was young. Yeah. And I think that that also just led to a lot of my emotional issues because I was still growing up. I was still trying to find myself. And now here I am in this big girl marriage, not, you know, not knowing exactly what it is because he, he honestly is my first real relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense because like you have to have a sense of at least a, a perceived sense of confidence to pull off a high school relationship, I feel like. I had one for, I don't even think it was six months. It was probably three months and it turned out that he was gay, which cool, fine. Um, <laughs> but that's just like another like. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know. So, I mean, my husband, he was my, my first love, my first real relationship. And then here I am married and yeah, it and just still, as you said, like, I think there is, I don't know, at least for me, like everybody sort of talks about finding out who you are as a teenager, but I think that that happens more through your twenties. Mm-hmm. For sure. Twenties. Uh, and I would even say, even now I'm finding out more about mm-hmm. myself in my 30s. Me too. And I'm, I'm 40, 40, I, I'm 44. <laughs> I'm still so figuring like, yeah. it out. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. Like I said, I'm 36. And I'm, I'm finding more out about myself. I'm like unwrapped, like, you know, it's like peeling back an onion and seeing all these layers and finding things that make sense. And, you know, why didn't I do this sooner? Why didn't I say this? Or so when you have two people who really don't know themselves and you put them together in a relationship, there's bound to be these ebbs and flows. And we, we put each other through a lot that I don't think we would have made it had we not had the inspiration from my parents. Seeing that it is possible if you put in the work, that helped a lot. But like I said, we put each other through a lot of stuff. So being on this end of it and stronger than we've ever been took a lot of intentional, intentional work. And real strong commitment. And I don't think just based on timing and, and stuff, like, I don't think you were married very long before you had your son. No, um, we were married about three years. Okay. So you're Um, still pretty young. Yes. And our son, he was a, it, he wasn't an accident. He was a, let's see if we can have a baby because I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and we hadn't tried very long. And I was lucky. The pregnancy wasn't the easiest. And at that time, I feel like I'm just going all around. Um, my son saved me from a bout of bulimia. I, I say that a lot. After my husband and I got married, uh, my godfather passed away very unexpectedly. And we took in his family. And when we took in his family, I just felt out of control. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it was very nasty between his family and his daughters. And 
we were caught in the middle and I found myself having to pick up a, a child that wasn't mine and to have all these responsibilities. And when things were spiraling out of control, I turned to bulimia as a way to control things. I couldn't control everything around me, but I can control what went in my mouth and I could control what came out of it. And it was never about the weight loss that just happened to be a side effect. It was literally about being able to have control over something. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of loss and grief and trauma to deal with yes. at a, at a young age from, you know, what, you know, helping care for your grandmother mm-hmm. and then yeah. kind of going through the loss with your partner too, which yes, you're supporting each other, but still like that. Well, you're both, both grieving. Yeah. But then, and then also to have this than to have another like big loss like that mm-hmm. and have it not just be this person gone, but like seriously impact your life. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. He got married. And then a month later, he, he had a heart attack and was gone, which looking back, I'm like, yeah, that was a lot. And you don't yeah. real like, you don't realize when you're in it, just how much it is or how it's affecting you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then my son was diagnosed with autism when he was three. So any plans that we had, we had all these plans about how we were going to have another child and, you know, kind of live happily ever after were put on hold because we wanted to make sure that we had the best care for our son. We could get him kind of on the road before we could even think about bringing another child into the world. And we finally got him to a point where we were comfortable when he was eight by, by then we were just like, we're, we're, we're done. Our family is complete. He's it for us. So it was mourning that ideal family that I had in my head mm-hmm. too. And, and being a special needs parent is, is difficult. It's isolating. And I had just started to find other mothers to connect to, but then I isolated myself because he was very difficult to deal with when we were younger. I couldn't take him out by myself. So it was just a lot of time spent by myself. And that really got to me as well. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that you already, you know, had struggled with depression Mm -hmm. and now you're even further isolated, which I'm sure didn't help. No. And And like you mentioned, I was a young mother. So a lot of my friends were still in college or they were finishing college and moving on to the next step, their careers. They were just starting maybe to meet people. And here I was, you know, three years into a marriage with a toddler and trying to to navigate the world, world of special needs parenting. Right. Yeah. Right. And your friends are still probably out partying. Exactly. So that, that was really difficult. And, but looking back now, I wouldn't have it any other way because of every, the way everything worked out. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. Like you have all of these sort of, like, you've got grief, you've got the depression, you've got the feelings about your, your appearance and your body and trying to stay married and make a marriage work. And then you have a child who's also special needs. And even I think you touched upon the idea of that decision not to have more children Mm -hmm. and 
when you said that you were kind of grieving that ideal family, one of the things I was thinking was just how there's so much pressure around that. Like that somehow like you're less than if you only have one child, that that's not the way it should be that you, you have to have another one because what if your child doesn't have a sibling? I mean, oh my goodness. How are they going to survive? It's, it's absolutely insane to me. And I think my idea of the ideal family was based on how I was raised. I have a younger brother Mm -hmm. who is, is also on the autism spectrum and who we help take care of. So (laughs) adding that into everything. Um, my husband has a, a sister. You have like an overflowing plate. Yes. So I think my ideal family was just based on my husband's and my family. And just, you know, when you're growing up, you know, I want two kids. I want the picket fence. I want the dog. I want all of that. And it took me a while to realize that my family is ideal just the way it is because we're together. Well, and, and it's ideal in that it's what it's supposed to be. Exactly. And he's, 13 and we're still getting so when you're gonna have another kid I'm like nope that factory is closed like no thank you you're still at an age where people think they can ask it though exactly well it was you know when Blake and I even started uh dating it was so when are you getting married and then when we got married it was so when are you having a kid and as soon as you know he started walking it's okay when are you having another when's one when's the next one coming and it's yeah. just like can everyone just stop asking questions about everyone else's personal lives well like- what's so interesting about it especially today because i feel like generally there are a lot of stories out there about people struggling with fertility and things like that and so you have no idea when you bring that up Mm-hmm. what you could be doing to someone and then not even talking about fertility but like the mental health that comes With after that. having a baby yeah can be really really challenging I will be the first person to admit that I am not a person anyone wants to be around after I've had a baby it does <laughs> it did not do it did not do good things for my I, mental health I did not do well either but I also just figured it was my depression. I, looking back, I had undiagnosed, uh, postpartum. Yes. Postpartum without a doubt. And again, that goes with the fact that you have how many appointments when you're pregnant and you have one appointment after the child's been born and they just ask you to check some boxes. That whole fourth trimester is, is hard. And it doesn't end. It doesn't end. No. And I mean, I had a pretty easy pregnancy, but Mm -hmm. it was a pretty difficult birth. He was an emergency C-section. His heart rate was dropping. Oh my gosh. Like twins. Exactly. Like I carried him. Like it was money. Yep. But the Pitocin, because he was three days late and it was starting to affect my blood pressure. So they induced me, but it was making his heart rate drop. And a SWAT team came in and emergency C-section and then I like, I went into shock after. So I remember holding him for the first time, but not being able to hold him for very long because I was so afraid because I was so shaky that I was Mm going to drop him. And that also plays into the fact that, you know, do I really want to go through that again? You know, that's a lot. I just want to backtrack for a second. So 
you're 18, like around 18 when you left school, 19, 18, 19, 19 come home yeah. to take care of your grandmother. Yep. And by the time you were 20, you had lost your grandmother and you were married. Yep. And, and then by 23, the- you had your son. Had my son, lost my godfather. Lost your godfather. Yep. Traumatic, traumatic birth. Yep. Trauma in the home. Okay. Yep. So this there, there's, span, there's more. This is, yeah. I, no, I know, yeah. but I'm just like, this is in a span of four years, I think. Yes. Yeah. And four years and I'm in school the you, entire time. You had a, a period where you were experiencing bulimia um, mm-hmm. prior to your son's birth. Right. Yes. That was how, the first bout. How long would you say that lasted? That uh, off and on for a year. Okay. And did anybody know what you were doing? My husband did. Okay. Um, he, he found out inadvertently. Um, I was pretty stealthy about it. Not, not being proud of that, but I had found a way to figure out to have no one know. It was a lot of I feel of like that's kind of part and parcel of most eating disorders. Yep. I was really good at lying. Uh, you know, I had a sneezing attack and that's why my eyes are watery. A lot of hiding my knuckles uh, because I had scars on my knuckles from uh, shoving my fingers down my throat. Wow. Just a lot of, of hiding, hiding the vomit, turning on a fan or turning on water, excusing myself after meals. And he just happened to find out because I didn't flush twice like I normally did. And I told him I would stop. I didn't. And he, at that time, I don't think he realized what impact it was having on me. And I I don't think he, he really truly understood until we went through it the second time. Mm -hmm. Right. And before we talk about the second time, the first time did, did you, you said you experienced some weight loss? Some, not a lot. Okay. But I was also, I wasn't binging and purging. I was eating normal meals and purging them. I was also on Weight Watchers. I, I, I was on Weight Watchers when I was bulimic. So I was losing weight through, through Weight Watchers because I was counting every point, everything that went into my body. And then I would still count those points, even though I would purge them up. So I was at, I was at my thinnest, but I was also at probably my most unstable mentally. Yes. I mean, I didn't know you, but being thin doesn't mean you're mentally. Yeah. And everyone I remember I look at those pictures and I remember how everyone was telling me how great I was. How awesome you looked. Yeah. How, how awesome I looked. And I just look at those and don't recognize myself at all because mm-hmm. that, that, that wasn't me at all. Mm-hmm. It feels like that, like TikTok trend of, of like show, show a picture of a time that you were in your darkest or whatever yeah. and nobody knew. Yeah. And I, this was a lot of the times where we would go to karaoke and we had a lot of friends and a local bar and we would always go there and we would go there at least twice a month. And I would drink myself silly and using that as a tool for bulimia, because if I made myself sick, then it didn't count as purging. Right. Right. 
and I could get away with saying, oh, I drank too much. You know, that's why I got sick instead of telling everyone the truth. Right. Right. And then you didn't have to necessarily hide that because you had an excuse for it. Yep. So I was just using alcohol as a tool for my eating disorder, which I actually, that just clicked probably a couple of months ago to me Mm -hmm. Um, because time hop on Facebook is a blessing and a curse all (laughs) at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, we went out a lot and I drank a lot. And then it just, it didn't occur to me because that was just never who I was. And then it occurred why, and I was using it as a tool for self-destruction. Yeah. Right. Wow. So when does the second bout sort of come into play? The, the second bout was longer, but it was also intermittent. Um, it, it, it was on and off and on and off. I felt like I needed to punish myself. Mm-hmm. And again, it went back to control. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I wanted mm-hmm. to have control over something again. You like kind of let yourself lose control. Yes. And so you had to take it back. If I could control this, then everything else would kind of fall into place. And spoiler alert, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Um, how old was your son when this happened? He was six. I think, um, I, and I'm, I'm not assuming to like assign like reasons or whatever, but I think a- another thing that happens in that time after a baby is we forget like that a woman is like molecularly changed when she has a baby and it's really hard to navigate who the hell you are after a baby. Yeah. And again, you know, finding yourself in your twenties and am I anyone besides a mother? Am I anyone besides a wife? I, you know, I fell really hard into that self-identification phase of I am Blake's wife. I am Christian's mother. I totally forgot about Mandy. Totally forgot about her. Yeah. Yeah, I have been known to say that I lost myself in motherhood and then had to kind of start this journey of figuring out who I actually was because I wasn't necessarily the person I was before I had kids, but who was I beyond just being a mom? Yeah. Right. And learning to kind of, you know, invest in self-care and do things for myself. And like, what am I passionate about? What do I want to do with my, my time? Like, okay. So I chunk away an hour for myself. What am I going to do with it? Cause all I know how to do is just be a mom. So I have the household, you know, to myself. And so I'm just going to clean up and I'm going to sort through kid stuff and do some laundry and like, just be more mom and wife. Yep. I, I was trying to find myself and yeah, I went all the wrong. I went about it the entirely wrong way. Um, it almost seemed to me that purging became a form of self-care mm-hmm. in, right. in the most dangerous way because I turned to it um, as, as that calming mechanism, as that relief. Um, I mean, I 
like I would do the most horrible things to my myself to make sure that no one would catch me like you know vomiting in your hand and then dumping it in the toilet so that it wouldn't make a splash like stuff like that that I just look back and I'm just like who was I believe I did that I can't yeah I just I can't believe I did that and my husband's gonna listen to this and he's he's not you know I that's never something that I like to talk about because it's not it's not that's that's the stuff that nobody hears about like you hear about the throat you hear about the teeth but it's just the stuff that you do and you you make yourself think that it's normal yeah right but it's the desperation yes that drives that like that desperation to keep this secret secret that and to be able to to get that like high for lack of a better word or calm that you get yeah I, I I felt accomplished. Like it was, you know, in out. It was, it was very black and white that to me, it was, I accomplished what I set out to do. Yep. So I have never had an eating disorder. Um, and I just, I, I want to understand. And I think that's part of why we do this podcast. So, um, bear with my ignorant question, if that's how it comes across, but can you explain a little bit about that feeling? Again, it, it's that, so... like it's an accomplishment. So like after you purged, you felt good. Like, did you get like a little rush, so to speak, or? Um, I felt better about myself. I think, again, it, it all came down to control. Mm-hmm. I could control what came into my body and I controlled what came out of it. Right. And you couldn't control anything else. Yeah. I remember if, if things got to be too crazy, I remember one family meal that, um, you know, my son is, is screaming and crying and we're bickering and I excused myself and I purged because I couldn't control anything that happened out there, but I could control what happened with my body. And so that, and that calmed you. Yep. And looking like it again, like looking back, I, I I can't believe it because I mean, is that a common thing that you hear from other women who have purged as well, that they feel calmed by it? Um, I honestly do not know many women who are as open as I am about eating disorders. Yeah, I believe um, that. <laughs> or if they are, um, it's more of the anorexic version. Right. Um, okay. But, but for me personally, it, it just, it brought a sense of control in the chaos. It was, mm-hmm. and that ultimately at that time in my life is what I needed, needed which that. looking back, I needed better coping mechanisms, but mm-hmm. I didn't have them. Right. Right. It makes a lot of sense. Well, I feel like we, we all are like roughly from the same generation and what was a coping mechanism? Like, don't cry. Why are (laughs) you overwhelmed? I'll give you something to cry about. Oh, I, I heard that often. (laughs) often. But then you have that along with the lifetime movies. Like I remember 
watching a movie about Kimberly the Pink Ranger and how she was a gymnast and how she was bulimic. So you, you, you see those and the movie lengthens the sickness, but the, the curing of it and the getting help is all, you know, in, in a scroll at the end, you know? That's like so the five so, minute wrap it up. Yeah. So-and-so, you know, they went to a therapist, everything was fine. They lived happily ever after. And that's why we're exactly. here though, because there's so much work you're already talking about, to, you know, this started for you when you were seven yes. years old and then morphed in your twenties um, to bulimia that you have now relapsed twice. And I will never, ever, ever be cured. I will be the first person to tell you that if I have a meal that is larger or if I'm having a bad day that I will think about it, I, without a doubt, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the strength of not acting upon it that is where I've grown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's gotta be so hard because again, it's that like that given that controllable element. Did you have a moment where you decided to stop? Yes. I remember I was in a, I don't remember where, but I remember it was a restroom that it didn't have stalls. It was a like open plan. So you could see yourself from the mirror and the toilet. Mm-hmm. And I remember like looking at myself and the state I was in with my tear my eyes running, my throat was raw, my hand was covered. I had marks on my knuckle and I just, I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Mm -hmm. Because at this point, things were better with my husband. We had my son in a good place. It was literally just me punishing myself. And I wanted I, I didn't know why I was doing that to myself anymore. And at that time, I was like, enough is enough. You, you, you absolutely need to stop this. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of the lucky ones where I didn't have lasting damage. My teeth right. didn't suffer. My throat didn't suffer. I, I have no long-term effects from it. And again, and I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. I, I will say that there were probably a handful of times after that moment where I would either attempt it or I'd go through with it, but then nothing came, like nothing further came of it. Mm-hmm. After that, life hit me with some pretty more gnarly blows. Mm-hmm. In 2016, I got a phone call from my mother that my uncle that we lived with, I had lived with my entire life there at the highest, there were seven of us in the house. So he was like a father figure to me. He had a heart attack and died in our kitchen. Oh my goodness. And now I'm having to navigate this grief, but I'm also now having to navigate it with my son. Right. And that is the first death that he had to deal with. And I mean, Again, it unexpected. Like I had seen him the day before, yeah. and he was dead when he hit the ground. Mm-hmm. There, so really, and that was. I had some involvement with my grandmother's funeral, but this was the first time that I was really involved in planning things and getting things ready. And you know, they don't they don't give you bereavement for uncles. 
most places don't. And you can't explain to them the importance of this person because again, it's different than that person that you see at Thanksgiving and Easter. Yeah. So that was, that was difficult. And most recently it was the death of my mother. My mom had been battling COPD for about a decade. And yeah, so while all of this is going on, we're, we're learning, you know, pulmonologists, we're learning oxygen concentrators, just all of that and being a primary caretaker for, for her. Just since we're talking about your mom right now, I just kind of want to go back to like her putting you in Weight Watchers at seven years old. Like, I know this is the doctor suggested a diet. Like, is this, is this something like, did you guys ever talk about this? You don't, you don't feel like any, I just feel like there would have to be some kind of feelings, at least in retrospect about that. It was generational. Her mom did it to her. Right. She, I remember her telling me stories about how they would go to Weight Watchers together. So she just went to what she knew mm-hmm. and with the medical professional telling her that that would be the thing to do. Right. Um, you know, I, I could be angry at her, but she was doing the best she could with the information she had. Yep. Right. Which so, is all you can ask. Exactly. She of anybody doing, at any time, right? Is she that- was doing what she thought she needed to do for my health. Absolutely. Did you guys ever talk about that though? And like these, these bulimia episodes and things like this, did, did going back to that, like we we did talk about it because, um, at her heaviest, my mom was probably like 320 pounds to put it in perspective. When she passed away, she weighed less than 90. And so she, throughout that 10 year span, she was losing weight, but it wasn't healthy. It was because her lungs were taking up more and more space for her stomach. So she wasn't eating. Um, I remember, especially towards the end, like we would buy anything to try to get her to eat. You know, I w- we would buy her carrot cake, milkshakes, anything that she would want to eat. So I remember because it se- she wasn't trying to lose weight. She was losing weight. And here I am trying whether it be healthy or unhealthy and not getting anywhere. And, um, I remember her saying like, just don't do it. Like I did. Don't, don't be like me. Um, she like find a healthy way to do it. And once I think she realized the extent of my eating disorders, I think she, she realized what she had done. And I I think she did feel remorse for it. So I, that's when I really feel like she really nailed home the whole, you're perfect the way you are. I had been told that my entire life, but, but it really like you, you were able to accept it. Yeah. I was able to accept it because there were no, there were no strings attached to it. She, she wasn't, she couldn't go to those meetings anymore with me. Mm -hmm. So there was no pushing it for us to do it together. Right. 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 Because you did it together, the Weight Watchers. Yes. We did. We did all of that stuff together. I, but for the longest time, I remember I was jealous of her losing weight, even though she was sick. Right. Because I mean, doctors were telling her like, 
hey, you're doing a great job until it started getting to be too low. And they were like, no, 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 put, you know, eat Eat something. Yeah. But at that point it was, it was too late. Right. So, um, yeah, I think she realized the, the magnitude of of what she did. We had, we we didn't have a conversation. Right. We had a conversation. Yes. Because that's the relationship we had. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I wasn't trying, and I hope it didn't come off that I was trying to like blame her for anything. Oh, no, 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 no. Cause, um, not at all, but I just like, you know, just imagine there'd have to be some kind of feelings and, and, yeah. you know, about that, We're, you know, she and I had the type of relationship where we didn't need to speak about something yep. to like, we could kind of dance around it, but yeah, we got it. it all the same. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I thought of like when you first started, you know, sharing is just like the insane amount of power we give to words like fat and thin and, you know, whatever. My um, big thing now is fat is not a bad word. Like it, that's not- even giving it power, right? Like it, it's like, I do it too. Um, it's not a criticism, but it's like, even when you're so like vehement, like when my boys say it, I'm like, you can't talk that way. It's giving it power and it makes it a word that they like want to say. So my family, we're big professional wrestling fans. We went to a show and I was wearing one of my favorite wrestlers shirts and posted it on Twitter. She retweeted it and all of a sudden a guy posts a gift that says you're so fat. And so um, I actually screenshotted this so I could bring it up because he said that. And I said, thanks for taking the time out of your day to provide commentary on my body. It's a shame that number one, I don't care what you think. And number two, I don't see any descriptor as an insult because it doesn't show my worth, beauty, or strength. Yeah. I could go back to my seven-year-old self with that same knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Everything would be different. But yeah. would I? No, because I want to be able to help more people than just myself. Right. Right. By sharing. By sharing my story. Yeah. And, you know, you have this kind of different perspective now. What is that journey being like? It is a whole different ball game when you are trying to be the best version of yourself in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. It would be easy for me to go into old habits, but it's creating these new healthy ones that is, is life-changing. Um, it's finding movement for joy. Um, for, for, for me, finding the Peloton community has, has been key. Finding these instructors, this bike, different ways to move and, and enjoying it. Um, I've done yoga and meditation, which if you would have told me I would have enjoyed that, I would have laughed at you. (laughs) Um, and it's, it's being comfortable in my own skin. It's going out in a crap top, going out in shorts, not caring Mm -hmm. what people think, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Let people talk. I, I yeah. don't know. It's just, and it's just not only empowering myself, but empowering other people. Um, for a while, I had a page on Instagram called Wear the Swimsuit, where I would share pictures of, of people fat, thin, old, young in swimsuits, just saying, wear it. You know, you, it doesn't have to be a bikini. It can be a one piece. It can be a turkini. Like you can wear a, a wetsuit, but just get out there and live your life. 
And I still take that to, to my Instagram and I share the pictures of me and I'm just, I want it to be to the point where no one has to tell me I'm brave anymore. I'm, I'm really sick of hearing that I'm brave. I just want to, I just want someone to say that suit is super cute. Where did you get it? Not, Hey, look, it's a fat girl and she's in a bikini. And that's so brave of her for sharing it. No, it's not. I'm not brave. I'm not I'm just a person. It's yeah, not brave just, to go to the beach and like build a sandcastle exactly. with your kids. Like yeah. it's what everybody has a right to do. Exactly. Like I it's not it's not brave. It is it, it a fat person living their life is not brave. And I'm going to fight until someone stops saying that. Yeah. Because yeah, it's so interesting how we like as a society think that you must be brave if you're wearing a a bathing suit. Like, because the implication is that you should be ashamed. It should be because if, if I were thinner, then no one would be saying that I'm brave. No. If if I, if I had a certain body type, no, it would be glorified. Right. Versus getting gifts saying that you're so fat. Like, thanks guy. I don't know that. Thank you for telling me something I didn't know. Now right. the seven-year-old version of me didn't know that, but right. me now. Yeah. And I'm it's, cool. it's so interesting how we can internalize those things. And I think I mentioned that I have a daughter who's eight and I wonder if this is, I know nothing about it actually, but I wonder if this is the age at which some of that stuff starts to happen because somebody told her that her arms were skinny this it summer. Goes, it goes both ways. That's the and then thing. I see her like looking at herself and she wants to like, and then she's talking to me about it. And I really wasn't completely sure how to handle that. And my mother was here and my daughter was talking about it. And this was the first time I was finding out this had happened. And my mother's response was your arms are in proportion to your body. Like you're fine. There's nothing. Your arms are not big. They're not skinny. Like they're just, those what are your supposed arms. to be. Those are your arms for your body and they look great. And I don't know if that's the answer. I don't even know like what the right thing to say is, but in the moment when my mom said that it felt like the right thing and I felt a little relieved that somebody in the room had, <laughs> had an some answer because yeah. I had no idea how to handle that. And part of me, you know, as a mom was like, mama bear, like, how could you say something like that about my daughter? And like, girls are, you know, we just live in a society where there's so much pressure to look a certain way. And, have to and remember, it's not, it's just not girls. just girls because no. my no. son, my son, yeah. a couple of years ago, uh, he right. reached he reached for a reduced fat cheese it box and said that he needed Ew. that because somebody said he was fat. So it's it's not just girls. Right. It's, not, it's not just the fat kids. Like we have to remember that yeah. the skinny kids get picked on too. The muscular kids get picked on too. Like it, yeah, body dysmorphia, eating disorders, they literally affect. Everybody, they do not discriminate whatsoever. And we give so much like 
we do, we give so much power to those words like fat. I don't know. I, you know, like the big Crayola markers. Yes. I call those. Yeah. I say the fat marker and which is fine because it's a descriptor, Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. I I think that's fine. If you use it, if you use it as a descriptor or an object, because there's no, or, or even, there's even no a judgment or value placed see, on it. It's and like, that's, that's the key is that you can't have judgment or value. So if someone says I'm fat, that's fine because the technical version, you know, the te- the term fat, I fit that. Yeah. Cool. But it's when they're placing value or worth behind it yes. and making me feel like I'm less than right. when right. I'm not We're you know, it sounds cheesy, but yeah, we're all equal. The three right. of us are all different sizes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we're all just as worthy of living a life. Right. And it's it's all the, like you said, like the worth and all the other, I think, implications or prejudices that people attach to the word fat as well. Yes. Or the word skinny. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, like, I don't want this to be just one-sided, but the word skinny can just be that there's worth around that, that can be either positive or negative. Mm -hmm. And I, and I've seen, and, you know, again, bringing my mom into this, I remember it was, well, you're so skinny. And then, Oh, you're so skinny. Like, again, like it's how you say something you're meaning behind it. And I feel Mm -hmm. like everyone just needs to be a little more cognizant of, of, of the meaning behind certain words a descriptor is fine. Well, and the bottom line is we don't need to be describing somebody by their body. No. And I, so like where I was going with this, like fat marker thing is like, there's the fat marker and there's the skinny marker. And like, those are terms that I have used with my children in our household. And I remember like, I'm going to say my youngest was about three and we were out somewhere and she turns to me and she says mommy she's like that fat boy waved at me and there was no judgment it was not a judgment there was no value attached to it she didn't have any preconceived notions about what that was it wasn't that it was good or that it was bad it was just like there was a group of boys and one of them was fat Mm -hmm. and I was mortified and I felt awful that she had used that word because I thought, what if this boy heard her say that? Because I would never want, because maybe he wouldn't realize that she has no idea that that could be something hurtful. But it was so hard to know how to address that as a parent because I do, I have used that word as a descriptor. So I'm like, that's a word that she is familiar with. She has heard me use the word fat. So she's like, that guy's that and his friend is skinny like that's just how it was and I I kind of wanted to shut it down but I also didn't want to make a big deal about it because I didn't want to teach her that it's a bad word and not every bigger person wants to be called fat or no yeah (laughs) because it has such a negative connotation up until recently I mean I was totally against it when finally I was just like okay cool if that's the worst thing you can come up with 
then I'm obviously they can't harm, pretty it well. can't harm me. And but, I think there's, there's something to taking back that power too. Like that's a word you use to hurt me. And I'm just going to say, yeah, sure. I mean, by definition, I'm going to be okay with that word. And now they can't use it in that way because you're, ta- you're taking that power back it was, from them. For me, it was a full circle moment that, because that's the word that started everything. Yeah. It was not worrying about my arms and wearing tank tops or bikini tops or crop tops, not worrying about it. Um, but it's definitely, it's obviously, it's been a 20 year road, over 20, almost 30 years of dealing with this before I've gotten to this point. And is every day perfect? No, there are days where I use fat as a negative word towards myself, but Mm -hmm. I would never, I don't do it to other people. I do it to myself. And that's the thing is we need to treat ourselves like we treat other people. Like I wouldn't talk about either of you that way I wouldn't talk about my best friend that way I wouldn't talk about my husband or my son that way but when it's it's me looking in the mirror I can unload the words like nothing ah don't we have the worst thoughts about ourselves and think things about ourselves and hold ourselves to standards that we would never hold anyone else to so much yeah and like say things to ourselves that we would never say to anybody else or that if someone said about our friend we would be pissed or our child, but we say it about ourselves and we tell ourselves these, these things. And I, I say ourselves and maybe not everybody's like that, but I think that there's a lot of people who are, I I would say that everyone in some point will look in the mirror and talk about what their insecurities are. Everyone has something for me. It's my weight. Yeah. For, for, you know, someone else, it might be their intelligence. For someone else, it might be the way their nose looks. But at the end of the day, you have to give yourself the same respect that you give to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Because you, mm-hmm. you're the person that you're, you live with. You know, I, I remember, I love looking in the mirror now and realizing that I'm strong and empowered and how far I've come from that, that session of purging where I looked myself in the mirror and didn't recognize myself. Mm -hmm. It's, it's about being a masterpiece and a work in progress all at the same time. Ah! (laughs) Yes. Um. I just, I love you just said, it's about being a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. That is just, I don't know. That's so poetic to me. I just, it's, it's about being the best version of yourself, but always striving to be better. Yes. Yeah. And there's always work and there's always, like you said, like not every day is perfect. And you still have those moments where you have this self doubt and that's okay. That doesn't mean you're not still healing and that you're not still on the right path because right? Sometimes we just have days that are not as good or moments that are not as good. And, and, and that's being human. Why can't we just accept that this is part of the human experience and support people who are in the thick of it? And I think a big part of the stigma against the negative is the stigma against mental health in general. And I think that we are finally starting to get past that. And I think once we realize that mental health is just as important as physical health, once mm-hmm. we normalize therapy, once we normalize uh, antidepressants, once we normalize all of that stuff, I think that it will be easier to get through to that hard stuff because yeah. once we recognize that, Hey, Oh, wow. 
you're, you're on an antidepressant too. Why are you on the antidepressant? How can I help you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everyone needs a friend like that who, yep. who will sit, sit with you through the shit and be there <sighs> for you through the happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That person that you can text on the good days and the bad days. You don't have to, to hide anything for them. Yep. Yeah. It can be so hard to find, I think, those people. Yes. Especially, you know, in in some ways where we're our connections are only online, they can often be very superficial sort of relationship. Double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. But media. right. And then at the same time, they can also be this place where you can find community and you can mm-hmm. find other people who might support you where you don't have that support in your real life. Yep. So it really, I think, becomes on us. I talk sometimes about like, like I try to curate my feed. I try to curate what, you know, who I follow and that sort of thing and be mindful of whether I'm finding myself comparing myself to somebody else or thinking that they have. One of my favorite quotes is comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. Because the moment that you start comparing yourself to someone else, you start doubting yourself. And social media, like I said, it's a double-edged sword because so many people are curating like you, but they're curating in the, in, in a way that is not authentic. They'll be the thir- first person to say like authentic motherhood, but they'll show this perfect picture of their kids when behind them, the house could be burning down. Like, <laughs> nobody sees that because you're only looking at the perfect kid. I, so much of what is on social media is so unauthentic that I try to surround myself by the people who you can tell aren't yeah. playing around. They're showing you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, I feel like I try to do that on my feed too. For every picture of my kid that's fantastic, there's a picture where I have just had it up to here and I can't handle it anymore. Yeah. There's, there's for every picture where I am rocking a bikini, there is one where I'm telling you about my story because I wanted, to, I want you to know that I just didn't wake up this way and it's not, mm. it's not being, um, it's not being full of myself, but it's finding a confidence I never thought I could have. Yes. And by the way, what's wrong with being full of yourself? Like we're taught that we're not <laughs> supposed to be full of ourselves, but why I mean, is you're that amazing? Bad? Yeah. But why, why we all are, I always say too, like if I post a bathing suit shot or if I post a boudoir shot or whatever, chances are on that day, I'm not feeling so great. Like it's me me actively working through it. I have some work in this area. I don't really. Yeah. Well, but also, but what I want, but on the idea of being full of yourself, I think there was like the story Shonda Rhimes challenged all the women on one of her shows or in her writer's room or whatever that anytime someone compliments you on something be like I know right instead of minimizing it because we do we minimize compliments without a doubt because totally like you're like you know you start telling them like oh my gosh and it only costs this much or oh I've had this forever or you know we kind of I don't know we try to play it down we deflect off of ourselves yes yes Yes. Yeah, so we talk about where we bought it or how much we paid for it and like, oh, I got it on sale or, or, oh, it was nothing. Like if somebody says you threw a lovely party or you yeah. did a great presentation oh, or it's whatever. Oh, no, yeah. it was something. 
Like, yeah, I didn't sleep last night. My freaking kid. And you're like, oh, up all night too. I'm not sure if I did a good job. There's totally that element. You posted something not too long ago. It was a picture of you wearing the same shirt. So it was two pictures of you yep. wearing the same shirt sort of before you kind of had this period of self-acceptance and then after. And I just thought it was so interesting that old you was like, I wore this out. I feel so uncomfortable. I'm tugging at it. I'm pulling at it. I'm trying to like straighten it and like making sure that I'm kind of, I don't know, covering up my body and feeling uncomfortable. And you're like, and now today here I am rocking it and being authentically happy and feeling comfortable with who I am. It was so relatable to me, the number of times that I have worn something and been concerned that it's making my stomach look too big, or am I showing too much cleavage? Like there's all these things that go through our minds. And I've definitely done the like tucking it in, shifting around, trying to like hold myself in a certain way. Cause there's something about what I'm wearing that doesn't feel right. And I quickly try to like kind of discard or donate those items because I don't want to feel like that. Like that's not how I should feel when I wear clothes, but I love that you kept it and you just have this whole new perspective now. The one that I wore when I was bulimic and I hated the way I looked in it. And now I, I found it when we were going through our laundry and I found it and it just brought me back to this memory. And then I remember trying it on and like, the hell is wrong with me? Like, I look fantastic. Yeah. Why did I not like this? Yeah. And it's just, it's doing stuff like that. And just like saying what's on my mind. I've gotten so many messages from people saying like, Hey, you inspired me to wear that crop top or Hey, I I wore shorts or I wore a swimsuit for the first time and went swimming with my kids. I am not an influencer, but I like being able to inspire people to be the best versions of themselves. And that's what all of those, they mean so much to me because I'm really a nobody. (laughs) Like I'm just a mom and a wife and I work in finance. You're not just a mom. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I'm not a nobody. You're definitely a somebody. (laughs) But in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, my sphere of influence isn't, isn't high. So if I can, can tell anyone if I can inspire anyone to to do something that they wouldn't normally do then Mm. it's for me that's awesome and in fact like I am going to start working with middle school girls um at at church and I hope that they don't have to go through what I did and we're just going to talk about body image and how to be the best versions of themselves and everything I wish I could have heard at their age Yeah. I heard something once, like as you're like dissing your sphere of influence, that if 25 people view your stories every single day, that's a classroom and that's not nothing. And again, like, and I'm sure it's more than that, but I'm just like, just to put it in perspective, like, you know, and I I think that's, that's kind of, again, something about social media is everything is about followers. Yeah. Followers and likes and again, comparison. So I just fell into that, that whole trap where, yeah. you know, I, 
I always have said, like, if I can influence one person, if I can inspire one person to, to be better, then that's all mm-hmm. I can ask for. Because you, you suffered so much and you struggled so much and it really, you know, the way you felt about yourself was keeping you back and holding you back from living your best life. Oh yeah. I And I, that is happening to so many people mm-hmm. that, I'm, yeah, if they can learn from you before they have to, uh-huh. you know, have some trauma that brings it up. <laughs> or also because a lot of uh, my friends are having kids is working with their kids so that their kids don't have to, to live like that. Yeah. You know, right. watching, watching for eating disorders and children is, is huge because again, they come out of nowhere. You don't see them coming until you open a drawer and there's a ton of lunch money in there. And there's all their lunch money. Exactly. Um, but it just, it's, it's insane how much power we give to other people when we should realize mm-hmm. that the power is, is all here. Yeah. And a lot, I know a lot of people say like, I would never, ever, ever do high school again. I actually would with the knowledge I have now, like ah, being yeah. this badass version of myself in high school, unstoppable. <laughs> yes. It's well, true, I would not but... be that girl crying at prom. Let me tell you that. <laughs> no. So. No. And when you put out that confidence, I think you draw people towards you as well. Right. Yes. Like, absolutely. And people... it brings the positivity and it just feeds and, and it just exponentially gets bigger. And then you're surrounding yourself with more positivity and it's infectious. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't make yourself small. You're not just a mom. Yeah. Mandy and everyone else listening. Yes. You're not, don't use the word just. No, you're not just anything. And you, there's no shoulds that you need to be worrying about. Those are two things that I hold on to. This was a really good conversation. It was a great conversation. We've been talking for so long. Thank you so much for your vulnerability and some like really serious and hard stuff. Mandy, tell people where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Curvy Knockout. If you're on Peloton, please feel free to follow me. I love followers, but not for numbers. I just love being able connecting. to. Yeah, I love connecting with people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's the best. And I'm really, speaking of connection, thank you for connecting with me because yes. this has yes. been fantastic. Yes. yes, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.